can sing with us. Welcome this morning. Let's praise the name of our Lord. Amen.
for the Lord. Who is like him? Who can stop the Lord? Welcome, Wheaton Bible Church. Anyone watching us online, we're glad you are with us. How good it is to be together and sing to the Lord and worship together. And we, we're going to start a new series today, uh, The Invincible Church. And we truly believe that. We believe that because our God is invincible. And Jesus promised to build his church. And even in this time that we are going through, he is building the church. We are here, right? He's building his church. And we are witnesses that he's at work. We truly believe that. He is at work all over the world and he's at work here in our communities, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and here in this building today. We trust him and he does, he said that he inhabits the praises of his people and we believe that. And so we, would you join me today in asking that he would today by his spirit come and work among us and open our eyes to the beauty of his son. Let's pray that to our father and to the glory of the church, his body. Amen. And I think that's as important, as important today as it has ever been. He said in Ephesians 3 that it is through the church that he is revealing the manifold wisdom of God through us. And so as we enter into this new series, um, think about those things. Let's look forward to what the Lord is going to do among us and through us. Amen. Amen. Let's read from Psalm 113. Let, let these first five verses call you to worship him. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise his name, the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord this time, from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. For who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Let me say that again. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Lord, we believe that there is no one like you. We want to see you working. Would you come and be enthroned in the praises of your people today? Would you do that in our homes as we watch and join online? In Jesus' name. Thousand generations. 
take a seat. I don't know about all of you, but I'm, uh, I'm so quick to forget. I think it's part of the reason why for those of us that are married, we walk around with a ring attached to our finger because sometimes we forget. I think that's part of the reason why we have in our homes picture frames and maybe the picture of your degree or something because we forget. I think this is part of the reason why we need people to repeat the same things over and over and over again because we forget. I forget the promises I have made. You could ask my wife. I forget that sometimes life is supposed to be different. But most of all, I think that as a Christian, even as a Christian, as a believer, I forget who God is and what he did for me. See, every time we struggle, every time we, we, if we have envy, every time we have doubt, every time we fear, it's because we forget. Actually, that is the pattern all throughout the Bible. This is the reason why one of the most repeated commandments in the Bible is to remember. 
This is God speaking to the Israelites after he has given them freedom. Remember, remember that I gave you freedom from the slavery of Egypt. Remember that I love you. Remember that I'm your God. Remember that I'm for you. Remember that I will never walk away from you. Remember. See, how we remember, we forget the thing that matters most, the cross. We forget that our Lord and Savior surrendered it all. We forget that he surrendered his body and shed his blood. We forget. And it's part of the reasons why the Lord gives us communion. So we remember that we remember that we have a gracious God that gave it all for us. That we remember that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to give us freedom and redeem us. That we remember that because of what he did, we're never alone. We'll never be abandoned. He will be with us until the end of the world. That we remember that our guilt have been, that our guilt has taken away, that our sins have been forgiven, that there's nothing that could separate us from the love of God in Christ. Remember. And therefore. Today we want to celebrate communion so we remember again. So if you came in, you probably grabbed one of those, one of these. The Bible calls us to before participating in communion to at least ask two questions. Number one, have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? So if you have, please feel free to participate. And second, the Bible calls us to check if there's anything in our hearts that we might need to surrender to the Lord before we participate. For those of you that are at home, you might want to get ready, get your, your bread ready and your juice ready or wine. Nobody's with there. Nobody's there with you, so don't worry. Uh, get ready because I, I want us to really taste and see so we remember. So if you will, can you please peel off the first layer of your cup Let me read to you a section of the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses, verse 24. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, you may participate. And that was good. Much better than what we used to use before. Now peel off the second layer of your cup. Let me read the second part of this text. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. I don't know if you caught that, but when we ate the bread, it says that God is for you. And when we drank the juice, it says 
that God would always be with you because he made a covenant with you in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as these elements enter into our body, that we remember that Jesus Christ is what guarantees that you are for us. That you will never abandon us. Because in Jesus, you have made a covenant with us. Not a contract that can be broken, but a covenant. A covenant that gives us security. A covenant that will keep us with you forever. I pray, Lord, that this becomes a reality to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, seated just read these these words hear this melody and let your heart engage uh, in worship as we reflect on what he has done for us at this table
so great to worship with you today. I'm Hannah and I serve with our Student Life team. Yesterday we had a blast serving our community during CareFest. Take a look. We are packaging 10,152 meals for those who need it the most right now. <laughs> there you go, that's awesome. This year has been a very trying year for everybody. And so being able to take a Saturday morning and really just dig in with my church family and be able to fellowship with them while we're doing this means so much to us. We have a team here that's helping out a member of our church. We're doing landscaping, putting in steps for a pathway, painting his deck, we're cleaning inside his house, arranging for the removing of trees by a professional service. He has some dead trees next to his property that may be a danger of falling on his house. We're all doing this to serve God and to serve our fellow Christians. Nos ayuda a ver la necesidad que hay en la comunidad y poder trabajar por medio de la los dones que Dios nos ha dado, nuestra habilidad es hacer roofing. Este techo tenía mucho daño y vemos tiene nuevo plywood porque el techo tenía mucho daño y necesitaba un techo nuevo. Entonces um, es una muy buena oportunidad para tener una relación con la comunidad. My hope is that it shouts out Christ's name even louder to say that we can love others without any expectations in return. so much for coming out yesterday and serving your neighbors. If you weren't able to make it, there are many more opportunities to serve with your church. One of our biggest volunteer opportunities is with our different ministry teams. Whether it's giving a warm welcome to those here for their first time with our front door ministry team, being a part of projecting our music and teaching to the room and our online attenders with our tech team, or serving alongside me, developing our kids and students into leaders of their generation. There's a team for you. You were made for this. You can go online and find a team that matches with your skills and giftings to get connected where you'll love serving. Part of why we can make these big community impacts is through your generosity. It's amazing to be a part of a church that reinvests 30% of our tithes and offerings into our local and global outreach efforts. If you're able, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? You can easily do this by visiting our website, wheatonbible.org give, or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. That's all for today. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.
All right, good morning, familia. It's depressing. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you all again, whether you're here or you're watching online and you're with us at home, worshiping together with us at home. Um, you have no idea how much I enjoy being part of this church and being in this place, believing, proclaiming, singing the things that we believe and proclaim and we sing. Today we're gonna, we are starting a new series uh, that we're calling The Invincible Church, as you already heard in our worship. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the importance, the nature, the, and the mission, and why we do the things that we do as a church. Um, we want you to understand, once again, if you've probably heard before, or if you're visiting and exploring Christianity for the first time, why is it that everything that we are and everything that we do as a church matters? Everything we do as a church matters. Actually, we believe that the church is so and so important that we believe that the church is actually the hope of the world. Historically speaking, this is how people have described the church of Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. One of the key passages in the Bible that explains why is it that I can make such a bold confession is Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20. So could you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and to God uh, as a, uh, his word. Once again, we're going to be reading from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. If you're here with me, could you please say, I'm here. I'm here. Let's start in verse th uh, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15. But what about you, he asked, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed uh, to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth uh, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Lord, I pray that you speak to us today. Lord, I, I pray that you give us such a vision of what the church is and the importance of the church, Lord, that we are compelled not just to believe what the Bible says, but to put into practice what the Bible says. I pray for those of us that are exploring Christianity and wondering if this church is a, is a genuine thing. I pray, Lord, that you illuminate our minds and that you convince us and that we may see the beauty of what it means to be the church. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. you may be seated. So the question that I'm trying to answer today is, why is it that the church is called the hope of the world? And I have three answers for you. We believe that the church is the hope of the world because of who God is and what God does. 
because of what the church is and how he lives and because of who, what God did and who Jesus is. Because who God is and what he does, because of the church is and how he lives, and number three, because of what God did and Jesus is. Let's go with the first point, uh, because of God is and what he does. The section that we just read, um, once again, is, is a very important section in the Bible that describes about the nature and purpose of the church. But right in the middle of that section, right in the heart of, a, of that section, we find one of the most amazing verses in the Bible and also one of the most controversial verses in the Bible. But it is from that verse that I can actually say, and, Christ, and Christians have been saying for ages, that the church is invincible. It is from one of those verses that we know that the church is the hope of the world and that we know that because of that verse that the church is invincible, that the church is indestructible and the church is imperishable. So if you are a believer, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of one of the greatest movements in the history of the world, a movement that cannot be destroyed. Now, where do I get that from? Of course, verse 18. This is Jesus, and, and he says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Pay attention to the phrase, I will build my church. I want you to focus in that sentence. Five words, I will build my church. There are so many different interpretations about that text, and I'm going to uh, uh, talk about some of those in a second. But for now, don't lose concentration and focus in that sentence. Because the word church is where we get the word ecclesia, or ecclesia, depends on how you pronounce it. And that word literally means the assembly or the congregation of God's people. It tells you right from the beginning that the church is not about a building. It's not even just an organization. The church is about this group of people that is the assembly of God. The congregation of God is the people of God. Notice that it doesn't say that the church is a building necessarily. Notice that it doesn't say that the church is people that have certain things in common and look the same. Notice that it doesn't say that the church is any of that, but it's a congregation, an assembly, a group of people that have these common beliefs. This is part of the reason why in the New Testament, for example, actually Old Testament and New Testament, you see all these descriptions about the church. For example, the church is called the body of Christ. Multiple people, one body. It is called the people of God in plural. It's called the people in which God dwells, the temple of God, chosen people of God, these holy people. I love that last sentence, that name, that last name, because holy people means that you have been chosen and separated by God, consecrated for, by God for God and his purposes. The word church really matters. It's a really important term in the scripture. And it is where we get this idea that the church is God's idea. That it wasn't a group of people, super spiritual people that came together and said, oh, we should build this church. It wasn't about charismatic people coming together, people with talents and abilities and saying, we should gather together. It was God's idea. 
It was God choosing, saving, redeeming, and putting together a group of people that belong to him. The church is a group of people in which God lives and God moves. The church is a group of people that represent him, point to him, worship him, and lives for him. The church is about individuals, yes, but it's about people. Not just you as an individual, but as a group of people. This is one of the reasons why the church matters. This is one of the reasons why we try as much as we can to gather. It is that definition of the church that tells us our value, our dignity, and our identity. We are the church. No better name for me to describe myself but as the church. Yes, I am a Christian, but I am the church. You are the church. Now, what's amazing, though, is that it tells you that this church is not only God's idea, but that it is God himself, the one that built his church. That is not about our instruments and our music. That is not our preachings necessarily. That is not everything that we do well. What builds the church, but it's God himself that builds the church. That word built is really important in the text. Because not only he tells you that one is the one that creates it. But the word built also means that he is the one that edifies it. He is the one that equips the church. He is the one that gives to the church the strength that is needed in the midst of everything. To put it in simple terms, to be the church means this. That God is always very present in and with us. And that God is always very active in and with us. To be the church means that God is very present and very active. So and so present. So and so active that the text says that not, not even the gates of Hades will overcome it. You know what that means? That the church cannot be destroyed. You know, the concept of Hades here is an interesting concept because it is talking about the place of dead. Meaning, it is a place in which dead people are held captive. That's why he uses the word gates. But what the text is saying, as strong as that thing is, that because God is present in and with his church, that because God is active in and with his church, not even death can stop it. The devil cannot stop it. Fear cannot stop it. Problems cannot stop it. A pandemic cannot stop it. Sickness cannot stop it. Nothing is spiritual uh, nor physical can stop it. You are part of one of the greatest movements in the history of the world. A movement that is invincible because of who God is and what God does. Listen to Leon Morris, one of the scholars I was reading in preparation for this sermon. This is what he says about this text. Jesus is then saying that the gates of Hades are not strong enough to prevail against the church. That church will never die. That church will never die. Whether we can understand all the detailed imagery or not, it is clear that Jesus is giving his followers the assurance that nothing in this world or the next can overthrow the church. God, again, once again, is so present and so active that the church is indestructible. 
This is the only way we can actually explain why is it that the church has been persecuted? Why is it that the church in the first, um, in the first uh, century was persecuted and people killed for it? Why is it that throughout history, even when people suffer and lose it all, why is it that the church continues? And it's not because we're amazing. It is because God is amazing. It is because God is present and God is active. That is the certainty we have as believers. God will not be stopped by anything or by anybody. The church is that. I want to invite you to consider and read the Bible from beginning to end and see how the Bible makes it clear that the church is invincible. Actually, I want to give you a three to four minute survey and the story of redemption. I want to give you a three to four minute survey on the Bible from the beginning to the end. This is something that I wrote recently, so just pay attention. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything perfect and beautiful. He creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them what is called the cultural mandate, to be in this world, to serve this world, to make this world flourish. But then sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, and everything is messed up. And what does God do? He promises that that's not the end of the story. He says that his plans are unshakable. He says that one day he would send one that will make everything right again. That will be Genesis chapter 3. And from that point on, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelations, you would see how God is, 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 um, is accomplishing his purposes. Here you go. In Genesis chapter 11, in the midst of people wanting to play God, the Tower of Babel, God raises Abraham, and God promises that Abraham will be a blessing to the nations. The church is unstoppable. In Genesis chapter 41, in the midst of a famine, God raises Joseph to protect his people. The church is unstoppable. In the book of Exodus, in the midst of slavery, God raises Moses to be a deliverer. The church is unstoppable. In the book of Leviticus and Numbers, in the midst of a pagan world, God raises a whole generation that will be in the world but not of the world. An alternate society. The church is unstoppable. In the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua, in the midst of, our rebel in, in the, midst of the rebellious uh, people of God, God raises Joshua, a man that trusted in God's promises and in the presence of God. The church is unstoppable. In the book of Judges, in the midst of the stubbornness of God's people, God raises a leader after another, one leader after another to bring people back to him. In the book of Ruth, in the midst of desperation, God raises a woman that will be an example of radical love and commitment. That woman later on will be included in Jesus' genealogy. In the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, in the midst of chaos, God raises up a king after his own heart. David, the church is unstoppable. In the book of 1 and 2 Kings, in the midst of uncertainty, God raises Solomon as the king of wisdom. The church is unstoppable. In the, in the books of First and Second Chronicles, in the midst of poor leadership, God continues to raise time and time again faithful kings. In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, in the midst of destruction, God raises a prophet and a leader that will be courageous and faithful. In the book of Esther, in the midst of persecution, God raises a queen that was willing to die for her, willing to die for the sake of her people. The church is unstoppable. I'm not even going to mention any of the prophets because the prophets is part of that story. How about if we jump into the New Testament? And in the New Testament, we have four, four Gospels. 
in the midst of God's silence, because he had stopped speaking to his people, in the midst of that silence, we find the one that was promised in the book of Genesis, Jesus. The blessing of Abraham, the better Joseph, the better Moses, the better Joshua, the descendant, the descendant of Ruth, the greater David and the greater Solomon, the king of kings. The one that was promised, the one that promised that he will be with his church until the end of the world. The one that raised an army of 12 broken, limited, shameful people. And through those 12 men transformed the world with the message of the gospel. 12 men that would actually begin the, the church in the New Testament. A church empowered by the Spirit of God. That's the book of Acts. A church that believes that justification is by faith alone. That will be Romans and Galatians. A church that believed, that, the res that believed in the resurrection and believed in the power of the ministry of the Spirit. That will be the book of Corinthians. The church that believed in the unity of believers. That will be the book of Ephesians. A church that believes in the power of joy. That will be the book of Philippians. The church that believes in dying to oneself to live for Christ. That will be the book of Colossians. A church that believes in the second coming of Jesus. That will be Thessalonians. A church that believes in the importance of godly leaders. That will be First and Second Timothy and Titus. A church that believes that Jesus is better than anything. That will be the book of Hebrews. A church that believes that believers are separated for God's purposes. That will be 1 Peter. A church that believes that sanctification and holiness matter. That will be 1 John. A church that believes that Jesus one day will return and we will weep no more. And the devil will be completely destroyed. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And there will be no division, no struggle, no pain, no suffering. That's the book of Revelations. We are part of the greatest and most beautiful, powerful movement in the history of the world. Because who God is and what he does. We are now part of a social club. We are not part of something that we get to modify according to our desires. We, we are not part of a religious group. We are part of something, this great movement that God created. 2.5 billion Christians in the world today. Just to put it in perspective, think about the world's population, 7.7 .7 billion people. And out of those 7.7 .7 billion people, 2.5 are Christians. About one-third of the world is Christian. One of the fastest-growing religions in the world. Ironic enough, Islam is, faster, is growing faster than Christianity. We are part of the movement of, of a great movement in which, listen up, people, 216 million Christians, 260 million Christians last year experienced high levels of persecution. And yet, the church does not stop. Do you know why? Because who God is and what he does. Because who God is and what he does. 
This is part of the reason why it's such an amazing thing for us to gather. This is part of the reason why it's so amazing that you get to watch at home, to watch us at home and join us in worship. This is, this, is, this is our identity, our purpose, our value. This is simply amazing. Why is the church the hope of the world? Because the church is invincible. I will build my church and the gate, gates of Hades will not overcome it. Do you see the church like that? Do you think of your Christianity like that? That's the first reason why I think that the church is the hope of the world. Let me give you another reason, because this thing get, gets better. Let me give you another reason why the church is the hope of the world and why the church is invincible. Because of who the church is and how the church lives. Now, if you remember from verses 13 to 15, we find Jesus having a conversation with the disciples. And Jesus is asking questions around. He says to the disciples, who do people say the, man, the, the son of man is? Basically, who do people say that I am? So the disciples respond and they say, well, some people think that you're John the Baptist. Other people think that you're Elijah. Other people think that you're Jeremiah or just another prophet. But then Jesus asks this very personal question. Who do you say I am? Because Christianity at the end of the day is about a personal question. Who do we think Jesus is? Now, Peter is the leader of the group, the representative of the group. And he responds like this in verse 16. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it seems like a simple answer, but it's such a profound answer. Because he's saying, we believe that you are the Christ. You are the one that was promised in the Old Testament. You are the Savior that was promised in Genesis chapter 3. You are the ones that the prophets and the Moses and the prophets talked about. You are the deliverer, the redeemer that we have been waiting for. You are that one. But look at how Jesus responds. In verse 18, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter... And on this rock, I will build my church. And this is the part where I think, where, where I told you, this verse gets complicated. Because uh, in church history, there has been so many different interpretations of this text. And it almost has divi been divided between Protestants and everyone else, per se. And there's a group of people, a certain uh, uh, religious group, that will believe that Peter, that knows that the word Peter means rock, and that the text says later on that this rock, which Peter is in their mind, is the one that God uses to build his church. So for this group of people, uh, Peter is the rock, and the rock is the foundation of the church. Now, I want to argue, just in case you're exploring Christianity, this is no new material if you have been in the church for a while, but if you're exploring Christianity or thinking about this, you probably heard something like that. I want to argue that the Protestant church historically speaking, have a different interpretation of that text. Notice that God, Jesus, doesn't say to Peter, you are Peter, and on you I will build my church. It's impossible for Peter to be the foundation of the church when God doesn't say that. Actually, another argument could be that Peter is the word Petros in the original, and the second word rock right there is the word Petra. 
So Jesus is saying something like this. You are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. It'll be a contradiction. Actually, if you know anything about Peter, you could probably agree with me that Peter could never be the foundation of the world because he was just a two. He was not that amazing, put it that way. So if you keep on reading the text, Jesus is having a conversation with him. We didn't read that, but you can read it later on. Jesus is, continues the conversation with the disciples, and Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to die, that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to be crucified. And Peter, with good intentions, good old Peter, says, that should never happen to you, Jesus. Actually, there's another text in which Peter says, don't worry, Jesus. I'll defend you. Who says that to God? <laughs> and look at how Jesus responds. Get behind me, Satan. Come on. That's not a compliment. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind in the things of God, but in the things of men. Peter couldn't, Peter couldn't be the foundation of the church. This is why the Protestant church know and acknowledge that the Bible says that the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. He is our rock and our foundation. So the question we got to ask the text is, then what is it that Jesus is telling Peter? And this is where you and I come in if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says that he built his church not in people like Peter necessarily, but on people that confesses the same thing that Peter confessed. That Jesus is the Son of God, and that he's the Christ, the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. God builds his church not upon the most amazing people, charismatic people, talented people. God builds his church upon people like you and me that have believed and repented. God built an entire movement upon people that just believed and repented. This is why the only thing that the Bible calls you to do if you want to become a Christian is to believe and repent. You know, confession is part of believing. You believe and repent and eventually you get baptized. That's what it means to be a Christian. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to put it all together. You don't have to try to do things to fix your life. All you have to do is believe and repent. God built his church upon people that believe and repent. Now check this out. The reason why the Bible calls us just to do that is because the message of the gospel that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected is the most powerful message there is. Not only we are part of the most amazing movement in the history of the world, but we have the most amazing message in the history of the world. This is why verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Um, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice that the word key right there is a metaphor. It simply means that we have the best message the most powerful message, because the message of the gospel is the one that opens the door into heaven for people, or if they reject it, it closes the doors of heaven to people. We don't choose 
We don't choose who believes and who doesn't. All we do, all we do is we proclaim it. The beauty of what it means to be a church is not only that we're part of this amazing thing, but that we have the most amazing and powerful message. The message of the gospel. The message that heals the broken. The message that gives uh, peace to the desperate. The message that gives joy to the one weeping. The, the message that gives hope to the hopeless. The message that sets prisoners free. The message that rescues and transforms. The reason why you're here, the reason why I'm here, is because we heard the most powerful message ever. You know, I was reminded, when I was reading and writing this, I was reminded of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Somebody once asked him, how come he became a preacher. And he said, I had a message that I needed to share. The most powerful message. You remember how I told you that in 2019, 260 million people experienced persecution? Why do you think that these people never stop? Maybe, just maybe. It's because they believe what the church is. And they believe the message they proclaim. Maybe, just maybe, is because they know that the message we proclaim really changes people. You know, this morning when I was editing the message, because that's what I do on Sunday mornings, Jeremiah chapter 20 came to mind. Jeremiah chapter 20 says, His word in my heart is like fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am wary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I don't know where you are in your Christianity, and I don't know how you live in your life as a testimony to others, but I tell you this. If you really believe that the church is what it is, that God is present and God is active, if you really believe that God, the church is God's idea, and if you really believe that the message we have, the confession we have made is the most powerful message there is, I guarantee you that your life will be different. Did you know that in the 1900s, most Christians lived in Europe? Did you know that now, most Christians lived in, live in Latin America and in Africa? Did you know that Christianity in Europe stopped growing? Did you know that in the United States, Christianity stopped growing? Why do you think that is? Did you know that in the world, the place that has more Christians now is Africa, Asia, and Latin America. The question is why? This is the thing. I think that the reason why in those places Christianity continue to grow is because people are desperate. Do you know why Christianity is growing in those places much more? Because people are desperate. Maybe, just maybe, 
the reason why Christianity is not going, growing in the United States is because we have forgotten. Maybe just maybe the reason why Christianity is not going, growing in the, in the United States is because we ignore that every time we gather as believers, we have God present and God is active. Maybe we have forgotten that the message that saved us is the best message there is. Maybe, maybe just maybe the reason why Christianity is not growing in the United, in the United States is because we have lost sight of what is important. Maybe just maybe the reason why Christianity is not growing in the United States is because our comfort and freedom is hurting us. Maybe just maybe the reason why Christianity is not growing in the United States is because we have forgotten and we need to remember that we are part of the most amazing movement and we have the most amazing message. Maybe just maybe. Do you see yourself like that? You know, um, I don't know if you heard this, but there's a rumor in the church that Rob is going to retire. <laughs> well, this rumor started months ago, and um, when someone from the church heard this, they approached me, and they asked me the question, Hannibal, you, would you ever consider applying for that position? And, and to be completely honest, I never thought of that until that person asked the question. And the reason why I want to share this with you is because I believe that the only reason why God made me a pastor is because I really believe in the importance, value, dignity, mission of the church. The only reason why I think God called me to ministry it's because I know that we have the most powerful message ever. So he asked me the question, would you consider being as part of the candidates? So I go home and I pray to the Lord because, you know, never had to deal with that one before. And I asked the Lord to kind of give me three things if he wanted me to apply. One would be that the elders would ask me, not that I would ask them, but that they would ask me. Two, that my wife would be okay with this because that is the hard thing to do. And three, that I will go through the whole process with a bunch of other people. Now, let me tell you why that's what I asked the Lord to do. And actually, he did, all three of them. Number one is because as a Christian and as a believer, as a believer, I really think I, one of the key verses for me in my Christian work has been Jeremiah chapter 45, verse 5, in which God says this. You should then seek great, should you then great, uh, seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. So I want to think that my life as a Christian since I'm already part of this amazing thing called the church, and since I've already had this amazing and powerful message, I don't need to seek for greatness. I'm already part of the greatest movement in the world. But the second thing why I decided to do that is because I truly believe in the sovereignty of God. He knows what is best for this church, and he knows what is best for me. I have nothing to prove. 
It is because I believe in the power of the church and the message of the church that I'm committed to the local church independently of my role. My commitment to this church is not a commitment to a title. My commitment to this church is who we are and what we proclaim. I have nothing to gain. I have it all in Jesus Christ. I have nothing to lose. Everything is secure in Jesus Christ. You know, so for those of you that might be worried, I ain't going anywhere. The only reason I will go somewhere is if it's the next pastor that comes, makes my life miserable, and I tell you why I would not stick around. I already have plenty of that with Rob. Why would I want to put myself through that? Again. Just kidding, I love that man. Sometimes. <laughs> the reason why I'm saying that is because I believe that leaders lead by example. I'm committed to this place because of what the church is and the message we proclaim. I have the same dignity and value when I preach from here than when we open the door. It's the same mission, the same dignity, the same value. It's the same thing when I'm when in front of people, when I'm in, with nobody else. It doesn't matter. I'm still part of this big thing. Do you see the church as this big thing? Do you see the message of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, as the most amazing, powerful message there is? Maybe, just maybe, the Lord wants to wake us up so we embrace what the church is. I don't want WBC, I don't want IDP, I don't want Tri-Village to be part of the group of people that is not contributing for Christianity to grow. Once again, the church is invincible. And you are part of that. Why is the church the hope of the world? Because who God is and what God does. Why is the church the hope of the world? Because of, who, um, because of what the church is and what the church does. But lastly, we are, the church is the hope of the world because of what God did in Jesus and because of who Jesus is. Listen, I am convinced of this, people. You could hear this message. If I stop the message right now, you probably will want to change. Simply because I made you either feel guilty or it was kind of emotional when I raised my voice. I don't know. But I guarantee you that if that is the only motive why you want to change, that will last you an hour. Because by the time you get out of this building and you have issues with your family, I bet you that you're going to forget. On the other hand, I do believe that the power to change and the motivation to change and the desire and the passion to be, to be part of what it means to be at church is not coming from anything within me, but it's coming from what, Jesus, what God did for me first. You want me to show you what that is? Gratitude. The reason why we want to worship the Lord, the reason why we want to live for him, the reason why we want to love the church, the reason why we want to proclaim the gospel is because of what Jesus, what God did in Jesus. Did you know that everything we are and everything we have is pure because of his grace? Did you know that the only reason why you believe in the things that you believe is because of God's grace? Jesus said it to Peter. Look at what it says in verse 17. 
Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. Notice this. This is Peter the leader. This is the first among equals. This is the one that represented the team. He was a man of compassion, a brave man, a courageous man. And yet Jesus tells them, the reason why you believe what you believe is not because of you. It is because God revealed it to you. Did you know that the only reason why you, you believe is because it's a gift? Believing is a gift. Repenting is a gift. It is the power of God working in us through his spirit. It's allowing us to see the things that we never saw before. It's allowing us to embrace things that we never embraced before. It is a gift that even though when we're dead in our, sin, in our sins, God sent his son to die for us. The only reason why we appreciate that somehow is because it's a gift. See, the more I think about that, the more I realize that the only reason why and how I can change is because of what God revealed to me first. So here's a question. Why not live for him when he did it all for you? Why not proclaim the most beautiful and amazing message we have when he did it all for you? Church, let's be the church and proclaim the most powerful and amazing message there is, the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, how important it is that we have the right view of what the church is. Lord, how important it is that we continue to believe the most important message there is. Lord, I pray that you make us uncomfortable. I pray, Lord, that you shake us up in such a way, Lord, that we embrace the church as it is. That we remember, Lord, that you are present and active in our midst. And that you gave us the only message that has the power to change people. The power to change us. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus living, dying, and resurrecting on our behalf. Jesus being everything. Jesus being the person that controls our affections and transforms our minds. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says, Amen. Before we respond, let me just let you know, we asked some artists uh, from our church um, to participate today. And so they sent um, some art pieces that we're going to put on the screens um, as we sing. So look at those, rejoice, be inspired by them, knowing that some people in our congregation made those as they were thinking about the church as the hope of the world. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's respond to the word of God together.
say that they are strong in the strength that God has given with shield of faith and belt of truth will stand against the devil's lies an army bold whose battle cry is love reaching out to those in dark service um, I want to remind you that every week we get the chance and the blessing to pray for you so whether you're here or you are connecting uh, online let us know if you need our prayers every Tuesday we gather staff and we pray for the needs of the church 
So all you have to do is text the word prayer to 630-260-1600, and I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for you. Now, how about if now we receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us? The blessing that guarantees that God is not only present in our lives, but he's active in our lives. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent.